Welcome to the fourth season of Better News, a series of special podcasts It's All Journalism is producing in partnership with the American Press Institute. I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Better News offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. The effort is fueled by the American Press Institute and the Knight Landfest Local News Transformation Fund. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight some of the useful research the American Press Institute has published as part of its Better News initiative. Fernando Soto is the CEO and publisher of Nuestro Estado. He recently wrote a case study for Better News about how NuestroEstado.com attracted and served a Spanish-speaking audience in South Carolina by building capacity and ensuring the information they published was accurate, timely, and culturally competent. Fernando, welcome to the Better News Podcast. Thank you so much, Michael, for having me. So we talked a little bit about this, about sort of about your background, but tell me about yourself. You know, where are you from? How did you end up publishing Nuestro Estado? So long story short, I'm originally from Mexico. We came to the U.S. when I was seven years old, and we ended up in rural South Carolina in a place that is known as John's Island. It's not so rural anymore. But yeah, we've been here ever since for the last 20 years. And I went off to college in Mobile, Alabama, where I studied journalism. After I graduated, I started a local NBC affiliate there. Then I decided that, you know, Alabama was maybe not the place for me at that time. And I came back to South Carolina. I was working in something completely out of my comfort zone, construction industry for about three years, doing some office management. But I still had that want and that desire to be involved in journalism in in some way. And so I started kind of um, a hobby website called Recursos Estatales, which translates to state resources. And I did that for about a year before I realized I was like, oh, this is picking up steam, like people find it useful. And I rebranded and decided to launch a business that is now Nuestro Estado. And then just a series of events that happened in 2020 catapulted me to, to where we are now. Before we get into Nuestro Estado, you know, how does a Spanish translation in real time sort of fit into this equation? Was that what the original company was doing? A little bit. We did it during hurricane season, primarily, you know, because people didn't really understand the evacuation process and the orders that kind of go into place whenever we have a tropical system. And so, you know, I think I'm fairly tech savvy when it comes to social media and in live streaming and whatnot. And so I was able to, you know, plug in a couple of computers to kind of pick up the live stream from government officials and be able to do a, a real time voiceover. Because what was happening in our area was that, you know, the existing Spanish language publications would often just translate the English language news into Spanish or translate the press releases, but wouldn't really go into depth. And I think about my parents, you know, when those instances come up and, you know, they need more information. And also, we need to be present at those news conferences. So eventually, you know, I, I started attending them. I found my wiggled my way in there, asking questions kind of from the perspective of Latinos, from the perspective of Latinos that are new to our area, and from the perspective of undocumented folks, because, you know, things affect us differently. Now, let's talk about Nuestro Estado. Who is your, your primary audience for that? So my audience, when it comes to gender, is pretty evenly split. But, you know, these are immigrants. These are mixed status households. These are people who are interested in finding out more about what's happening locally and truly understanding it. I think that, you know, after some time of being in the U.S., folks like my parents, for example, can read some English, kind of get a broad picture of what's happening. 
but oftentimes I think that gets lost in translation. And so my audience are, you know, the Spanish speaking folks who, who want to dive in a little bit deeper and get a better understanding of what's happening in their local jurisdiction, what's happening at the state level, and also, you know, just empowering them and into seeing how they can get involved and make their voices heard. Did uh, your audience have a different, you know, system for getting news than maybe a, a normal news, normal, I don't want to say normal, but a usual consumer of news? Yes. And so I think that for me was a lot of experimentation. You know, I think I had some assumptions just based on lived experience and, and my own family about the ways that we consume information. And um, when I first started the business, I, I was finding that a lot of people had their own assumptions about what the Latino audience wanted and how they wanted to receive it. You know, they thought that, oh, Latinos want to receive news in a newspaper and, you know, their comprehension is low, etc. And I was like, you know, that's not completely accurate. I was like, everyone that I know has smartphones and everybody is always, you know, on social media and pretty savvy when it comes to the smartphones. And so once I started the business, I did a little bit of experimentation and, and realized, you know, actually our community are very early adopters of, of technology and these smartphones, you know, make the user interface very easy and user-friendly, which is a pro when it comes to our community and the way that we receive information. I think that there is some truth to, you know, the literacy levels that our community has, especially when there are new immigrants coming into the deep south. But the way we address that is, you know, not by, you know, writing even longer articles with academic language, but rather figuring out, okay, how can we make this information digestible? And that's through video and audio, you know, so that that information can continue to be disseminated and, and understand it as easily. The piece that you wrote for Better News, you know, what problem were you trying to address? I wanted to offer people more than just those translated press releases and those translated news articles. I worked for a little bit at a local affiliate down in Mobile, Alabama in an English language newsroom. And just the amount of resources that exist for, you know, our general population are huge. We're constantly bombarded with news, right? And that just didn't exist in Spanish and not in South Carolina, at least. And so I saw that, you know, there was a need for people to truly understand what was happening because the way that we give news to our, our folks is, you know, through the lens of, of our own community. And so translating English language articles into Spanish doesn't really resonate. You know, there's so much information that gets lost. There's so much nuance that gets lost when you're doing that. And so we were trying to solve that problem because I wanted my community to just feel more welcome, you know, here in our area. Oftentimes people ask, you know, where's the Latino community? Like, and I'm like, we're everywhere, but it's very, very siloed. You know, I think our communities are pretty separated. And so we want to kind of just bridge the communities and, and bring them together. So how did you get involved in the table stakes program? And what were you able to use from that to sort of achieve the goal? Yeah. That was a, quite the experience. I really enjoyed uh, being a part of the UNC table stakes. And it all started, I emailed Alberto Mendoza, kind of just in a cold email at the beginning of 2020. You know, we had just gone through the primaries here in South Carolina. And so it was a, it was a very busy moment. Granted, I still had a full-time job. I was doing some, some consulting at the time and had my full-time job at the construction company. But the pandemic hit and I lost my full-time job. So I had already decided that I wanted to do Nuestro Estado kind of you know, as a business model, but I thought I was going to do it as a, you know, side gig type of thing. 
but then the pandemic kind of just, you know, precipitated everything. So I reached out to Alberto who connected me with Ashley Woods, Ashley Woods connected me with Lizzie and just asking people and sharing my stories. And originally I was asking for resources. How can I make sure that, you know, this website that I have is reaching people and that I'm doing things equitably and that I'm sharing best practices. And I'm really thankful to all three of them because they were very, very generous in connecting me to other folks. Eventually, you know, Lizzie ended up being my coach at the uh, table stakes program. And I just was so glad to have been able to, to go through that process at the beginning of my business, to be able to really understand, you know, how can we think about journalism and the way that we serve communities differently? What were the strategies that you came up with? So we did a lot of experimentation with the way that we reach our, our audiences. So through the through the year, you know, we kind of experimented with newsletters a little bit to see if that was something that our community was interested. We tried that for a little bit and stopped. What really kicked off in terms of a strategy was connecting with people through WhatsApp and through messaging one on one. And so we started implementing that. I was a little scared at first because I was like, I know that our community uses WhatsApp heavily, and I was afraid that that, you know, it was just going to kind of open Pandora's box and, you know, I don't have the capacity to answer everyone. And so we've kind of just been taking it in short baby steps to continue to grow the audience there and be able to respond to them. But what you do find is a lot of people that ask you questions directly on WhatsApp about, you know, where can I get my vaccine? Where can I go get my passport renewal from, you know, whatever country that they're from? And so those are things that we were able to implement with table stakes and kind of gave me a different perspective of thinking outside the box that, you know, as a news organization, like I don't have to serve my community the traditional way, the way that, you know, we've been taught to do that. I can think outside the box and kind of shape it to a little bit of what I want it to be. And to me, that meant that I wasn't giving my audience what I thought they needed, but rather listening to them about what information was most useful to them. And you were doing that through the social media, through WhatsApp? Yes, through the social media, through WhatsApp. We were, you know, Facebook Live was very active. Investorsala.com is essentially where we kind of want to funnel everyone so that they can find out other things that are happening around them. So I know that you mentioned that you tried newsletters and that didn't quite work. I mean, was there anything else that you tried that didn't work or something that you sort of gravitated toward besides the social media that helped to accomplish what you're trying to do? We also tried partnerships. I mean, I think a lot of it wasn't so much of like, you know, things that didn't work, but it was just in terms of capacity, like what can we try that is kind of attainable? at this time. And I say we, because my husband really helped me a lot. He doesn't speak Spanish, but he helped me a lot in a lot of this adventure, which, you know, can be pretty daunting when you're starting any business, but when you're starting a business that you're trying to, you know, gather news, gather information, put that information together and then disseminate it out to the community. That's another layer, but then we wanted to be very boots on the ground. So we started developing partnerships with organizations and other people to you know be boots on the ground and serve the community we hosted early on in, in the pandemic we decided to host a testing site because that was another big problem that was happening in our state there weren't testing sites that had spanish language folks there and so we decided to host one in that 
place where I grew up on John's Island. We contacted the Department of Health. They contacted the National Guard. And then I just started reaching out to some local businesses to see if they wanted to pitch in to also do a food drive. And so we gave out, you know, some fruits and vegetables to people that came out and got tested. Because at the time, if y'all remember, I mean, the world was shutting down. And so that was a learning experience for us that like, we need to keep at the core who we are as a community and realize that like, regardless of where this goes or how much this grows, we can't always just do things from behind a camera or behind a computer. Like we have to constantly engage with people face to face. It's really fascinating what you're talking about. There are a lot of journalists, you know, and people in newsrooms who talk about, oh, we, we need to find out what our audience is, is saying and then sort of cover that. And yet they fall back and they, they sort of, you know, they're covering the same meetings they're covering the same events. And certainly for a lot of outlets, COVID kind of changed that approach. And what you're sort of describing is you're an information resource for the Spanish speaking community. It's not so much that you've decided we're going to report these stories. It's here's the stuff that they can really use in the situation that they're in right now. And, you know, they're giving you questions to answer. So it's journalism, it's news, but it's in an altered way in that you're more responsive to the needs of what your audience is. Yeah. And that's something that I that I think I can attribute to table stakes, you know, that being agile and being able to pivot into the needs of the community was really helpful because it can be a daunting task, you know, that there's so many things happening, especially in a moment of crisis, there's so many needs that are happening, that being able to have kind of like a process and a system and, and a group of people to guide you and kind of dissect, you know, these complex situations with you was really helpful for me to guide me and not lose focus of what we really were trying to do. Within the last few days, in the last week, what are the the big things that you've been publishing and sharing with your audience? Yeah, right now we've been sharing a lot about labor rights and, you know, there's a heavy construction industry here in South Carolina. And then oftentimes having worked in the construction industry for three years, I know that there's a lot of accidents that can happen and people have, you know, sometimes different types of status of immigration status. And so, you know, we've been trying to get people to understand what their rights are in case they're in an accident, but also cost of living has increased rapidly. You know, I live in Charleston, South Carolina, where it's pretty expensive to live. We don't have the greatest infrastructure and we have a lot of construction workers that are having to you know, find homes out in Monk's Corner, which is about an hour commute without any traffic. So you add on everybody that's trying to commute to work, it can be a pretty lengthy commute to and from work. Informing people about inflation and kind of like the economic status of where we are as a country. And then also like the importance of being able to make their voices heard and how to kind of navigate these times because there has been a lot and this is kind of just you know pre this inflation thing that's happening right now with with the pandemic a lot of people losing their homes a lot of people live in mobile homes that they own but they don't own the land and so yeah we try to push a lot of content out about how people can find legal resources and that they know that yes you might be in a new country but you know there are resources and laws that are available and rights that you have in order to continue to survive. So what has surprised you about this process? You know, I'm gonna share a disappointment and that is, you know, a disappointment in the uh, systems that we have because I do get a lot of 
entities that are like, we have all of these resources available, you know, and government officials and this, that, and the other. But it's not just about having those resources available. It's about being intentional about them and understanding the community and how they utilize them and how they can access them. Emergency rental assistant programs, for example, were available to our community, but there was a lot of confusion as to how those could be implemented, how people could get their rent or their utilities bill paid through through these programs. And so finding out that a lot of people have good intentions, but very few people are willing to go whatever length it takes to ensure that those resources are reaching communities equitably. So what advice would you give to another newsroom who wants to cover the Spanish-speaking community more effectively? Yeah, the advice that I would give them is to truly listen I think sometimes, you know, we like to think that as journalists, we ask a lot of questions, we ask the right questions and that we listen. But I think oftentimes our coverage can be through our own lens. And I think we really have to push ourselves to think through the lens of people's identities who we don't share. I have a lot of intersectionality in my life of, you know, being a a Mexican immigrant, being a gay man, having been undocumented for a long period of time. But I often think I'm like, you know, there's so much more in our community that I don't share. I'm not an Afro-Latino, you know, so how does this impact our Afro-Latino community? And so truly listening and learning, you know, I think there's a lot of learning that can be done, even for me as a Latino trying to reach my own community. And then there's a lot of unlearning that needs to happen from, you know, our traditional trainings that also we have to be open to, you know, this idea that I think a lot of journalists of color encounter that, you know, we can't be objective or that that we're biased because of the way that we present things in the community. And I think that's, you know, pretty harmful because we have these lived experiences and it's kind of difficult when you're being asked, you know, having worked in a newsroom that is that is predominantly English speaking and being being the only Latino there. I'm like, I'm not telling you this, you know, from a place of like, this is what I want you to say for our community, but I'm telling you this from a place of that experience and, and our lived experience. And I'll give you a brief example, you know, during the 2016 election cycle, there was a lot of talk about immigration and to see our newsroom in the newsroom that I was working at, at the time, talk about immigrants as, you know, illegal aliens and to use a lot of this rhetoric is really harmful. And so for me, it was like, you know, at least in the bare minimum, AP style says it's undocumented immigrants. Like that is not being biased. That is expressing the way that, that we keep our human dignity, you know, as people. And I think that's really important when reaching our, our audience because it's not an audience that has been served for a long, long time. And I think people are starting to realize the importance of Latinos in this country but we need to do so carefully. We can't just come in there and be extractive. It really has to be an intentional effort. I've been talking to Fernando Soto, the CEO and publisher of Nuestro Estado, about how the website was successfully serving the Spanish-speaking audience in South Carolina. Fernando, thanks for coming on the Better News Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Better News, a co-production of the American Press Institute and It's All Journalism. API's Better News Initiative offers strategies and case studies to help transform newsrooms. You can find out more about the Better News Initiative and this podcast at betternews.org.